You are going to love that. Um, good morning. We're very excited about the two things coming up this week, the, the pageant and the Christmas Eve service online, so we hope you can enjoy us with that. We are into our fourth week of Advent, and um, I do know that we've, we always light candles, but I want you to realize there, there's a reason to that. It's, it's a symbolic act. The, the first week we, we, we light this candle of hope in this world that seems dark and hopeless. The next week we move to this candle of peace to remember that even though we don't feel peace all the time, that the peace that comes through Jesus is a peace deeper than circumstances. Same in the third week with the candle of joy, deeper than, than what's, what's going on around us, a joy that is relational, that's shared both in our relationship with God and with each other. And today at the end of the, the sermon, we'll light the candle of love. We're looking at, at Jeremiah chapter 33 today. This, this section that Jake started with last week, well, actually, Jeremiah chapters 30 to 33, uh, scholars call it the book of comfort. And despite all the suffering that's gone on, all the judgment that the Jewish people will have to go through in the first 29 chapters that's mentioned over and over, this section, chapter 30 to 33, is, is a reminder that God has not forgotten them. There's a fresh wind blowing. They're not alone. He's not left them. He's just working to purify, to refine, and ultimately to restore them. Now, before I read this in chapter 33, I want you to realize the first 29 chapters of the book have been difficult. They've been about judgment and suffering. The people had continually turned their back on God, and he made it clear he was going to level Jerusalem to the ground to wipe it out, to destroy the temple, this visible symbol of God's presence. And they were going into exile far from home under the rule of an oppressive Babylonian empire. And chapter 29 actually is written to tell them how to live when they're in exile. And there's a, a psalm, Psalm 137. That's a psalm that they sang. It says, uh, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy, and they said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? I want you to, to think for a moment to your own life where you have felt loss, where you felt that, how can I even sing now? That's what they were feeling. And I want you to hear the words, Jake's sermon last week and this, this message from, from chapter 33, in light of that, realize that's what the Jewish people were feeling when these words came. So we'll read Jeremiah 33, verses 1 to 16. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says, He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord, Yahweh, is His name. Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this city and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down to be used against the siege ramps and the sword in the fight with the Babylonians. They will be filled with the dead bodies of the men I will slay in my anger and wrath. I will hide my face from this city because of all its wickedness. That's a great part of the book of comfort, isn't it? Then verse 6, Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. 
I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise and honor before all the nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it's a desolate waste without men or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither men nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says in this place, desolate and without men or animals in all its towns, there will again be pastures for, for shepherds to rest their flocks in all the towns of the hill country of the western foothills and of the Negev in the territory of Benjamin and the villages around Jerusalem and in the towns of Judah flocks will again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, says the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, Jeremiah, especially in chapter 33, wants to remind people they are not alone. Even in this big mess, they are not alone. They are the focal point and the, the, the focus of a God who is big and beyond. Now, when we find ourselves in difficult and painful circumstances, it's always a good practice to start by reflecting on who God is. Our tendency in difficulty is to narrow our focus down to ourselves and, and feel what we are feeling. But, but, but Jeremiah hears from God and he shares words that remind the people who God is. And from there, we can begin to understand the situation that we find ourselves in when we first see who God is. And seeing God for who he is helps in acknowledging our limited viewpoint. It's fascinating to note what's happening in the first three verses. Jeremiah, in verse one, it says, is still confined in the courtyard of the guard. Now, what does that mean? It says in chapter 32 that the puppet king Zedekiah had him imprisoned in the courtyard of the guard because he was prophesying all these hard words about Judah. So we begin chapter 33 with these words. He's still confined. He's still helpless. He's in jail. He's in prison. He's hated by the powerful because of what he's spoken against them. And yet even in this limited position, God says something to him. And he doesn't say, hey, Jeremiah, you're in prison. He doesn't focus Jeremiah back on his situation. He starts by saying, this is what the Lord says, Yahweh. This is what Yahweh says, the one who made the earth, who formed it, who established it. Yahweh is his name. And he's saying, I know you're in prison, Jeremiah, and it's because you've been faithful, but I want you to realize that I am a big God, powerful. And what does he say to the man in prison? Verse three. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Now, there's a lot of things that Jeremiah does know, and he's been telling them to the people. 
But God says, you know what? There, there are great and unsearchable things that you don't know. There is so much that you don't know, Jeremiah. And we have to start in our own lives by realizing in our circumstances that no matter how helpless we feel, no matter how unjustly we have been treated, there are great and unsearchable things that we do not know. One of the things that's killing me lately is social media gives people the sense that they know, they have more confidence than they should have. They've read this and they've read that and they've seen this video and they speak so confidently. And, and, and one, of, one of the things we have to do sometimes is just realize there are a lot of things that we don't know. We don't know. There isn't so much humility out there anymore. There isn't willingness to learn from other people because we think we already know. And, and one of the first steps is acknowledging our limited viewpoint and realizing that the God we are connected to is big and beyond. And he has things well in hand, even if we don't realize it, even if we don't feel it, even if we don't understand it. And God begins to tell Jeremiah what God will do and it's renewal. Jake talked about this last week in chapter 31, this, this renewal, this rebuilding. And, and chapter 33 doesn't really start off great. Verses 4 and 5, I, I mentioned that, you know, these, these houses that have been torn down to, to fight against the siege ramp, ramps of the Babylonians, God says, will be filled with the dead bodies of the men. I, it's, it's horrible how it starts. But then in verse 6, nevertheless, my people will be brought home. Verse 7, they'll be forgiven. Verse 8, and there'll be a testimony to the world of this big and beyond God in verse 9. And then he, again, he starts in verse 10. Now you may say this land is desolate and it's a wasteland. Yet, he says, I will restore it. And in case you missed what it looks like in verse 12, desolate, <coughs> again, without men or animals. But he says, there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flock. That's what we saw last week, this rebuilding, this renewal that's promised to come. This big and beyond God has not forgotten his people. Least of all, Jeremiah, who's imprisoned in the courtyard of the guard. He has this plan. And why will God do it? Because he loves them. God will do it because of love. Look in verse 11. Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures Forever. Jake, last week in chapter 31, verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, he tells his people. I've drawn you to me with loving kindness. We saw it from the very beginning of this Advent series when we looked at Lamentations 3, 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Every week, as we look at what God's doing in this dark and broken world, we're drawn back to his character, to his attributes. The candle of love is where we get to this week. It's what we build to. It's something we have to see as we come closer to celebrating Christmas. Because what's happening here is this God who is big and beyond is also the God who is with us to lead us. You see, once we understand the immensity of God and, and how beyond us he is. And then we see our own size in perspective. Once we get that, the incarnation seems even more tremendous than we could have imagined. The big and beyond God, because of love, moves to small and beside. He, he moves from big 
to small. Verse 2, this is what Yahweh says, he who made the earth, Yahweh who formed it and established it. The Lord Yahweh is his name. This big and powerful God becomes small. He says, in those days and at that time, he's talking about the future. This is verse 15. I will make a righteous branch branch sprout from David's line. Now, the idea that these people would see in their heads is of a stump. God had often referred to Israel as a tree, very often an olive tree. And, and, and after this exile, it'd just be like a stump was cut down. But an olive tree, when you cut off the stump, a new shoot will come up out of it. And that's the picture. This, this big, powerful God is going to be this tiny sprout coming out of this dead stump. A baby's coming, a descendant of David. And, and we know today he's talking about Jesus. I, I would assume if you're looking at your Bible, most of your Bibles have that word branch or, or uh, sprout. It, it's capitalized. It's coming out. And, and, and it's capitalized because they know it's Jesus. It's God himself coming. But it's tiny. This small little thing from the one who made the earth to the weakest inhabitant of the earth. It's hard to believe that God would do this. I, I, I'm not going to quote it because I quote it all the time. That Frederick Buechner quote, I did it in the Advent Walk. You can go back and watch that on video if you want to hear the quote. But, but basically Buechner says when God shows up in a stable, that means he'll go anywhere. He'll do anything to come after us. If that's how low he will go, he will do anything. The God who was big and beyond has become small. And he's, he's, he's gone from God beyond to God beside. That's what he means in verse 3. I'm going to show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. That God would actually come big and beyond God to be small and beside. Emmanuel. God with us. See, Jeremiah's learning that something bigger is going on here. This is not just reestablishing a nation. This is not just reentering a land from exile. It's not just a rebuilding of the temple. It's God coming to be with us. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about peace, remember there was the big drought and everything was going wrong back in chapter 14. And Jeremiah said, we had hoped for peace but no good has come. A time of healing, but there was only terror. And we talked two weeks ago about how we always want our circumstances to change. We always want things. We'd hoped it would just get easier. But later in chapter 14, verse 22, Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, No, it is you, O Lord, our God. Our hope is in you. See, the point is not the circumstance. The point is who is with us in the circumstance. We get so wrapped up in what we see, our own comfort our return home, our desire that things go well for us. Christians fight so often to try to get things to go well for us instead of just realizing that God's walking with us in this moment. Even through difficulty, even through pain and suffering. You know, if you've been in a difficult time, you've had people come to be with you in the middle of that difficulty. And when they are just with you, you sense that love and compassion that they feel for you. That's exactly what God is doing in coming to be with us. A love that takes the big and beyond God and makes him small and beside. It's a love that's hard to understand and it's a love that transforms us. Verse 10 to 12, a desolate waste is turned into this place in verse 11 where there are sounds of joy and gladness. 
Why? For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. In verse 15, the branch will do, it says this branch coming will do what is just and right in the land. And it says in verse 16, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it shall be called, Jerusalem, the Lord, our righteousness. Now, if you, if you pair that with a, a few chapters back in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David, a righteous branch. Here's that idea again. A king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. That's that same echo. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel lived, will live in safety. This is the name by which he, the branch, will be called the Lord our righteousness. So, so Jeremiah is saying the king is going to be called the Lord our righteousness and Jerusalem is going to be called the Lord our righteousness because his leadership is going to transform the whole city to be like him. It's a transforming love that changes us, that frees us. It's the love of God seen in his stubborn refusal to let his rebellious people go. His commitment to humble himself and to come to be with us. And, and we have to see as we come to this candle of love today, what the love of God leads to. And we save the candle of love to the fourth week because love is really what holds the whole thing together. We started with because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. And it's the underlying foundation of every week of Advent, the character of God. Chapter 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And, and later on, even in, in the New Testament, we see the character of God in Romans 15, 3. May the God of hope, I love this verse. We all are living in hope should love this verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, understanding the love of God for us gives us hope for the future. In verses 14 to 16, it's, it's, it says how they start, you know, in, look at 14, the days are coming. Verse 15, in those days, verse 16, in those days, when we are anchored to the love of God, we have hope for what is coming in the future. Not that we have it all figured out, not that we understand everything that's going to happen, not that we, we can make it all work in our heads, but there is hope that it will get better. The Jews had known this in the Old Testament, Psalm 130. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. His love gives us hope for the future. Paul writes in Romans 5, 5, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given us. This love that God gives us, gives us hope for the future. When Angela and I got engaged, boy, we had no idea what was coming, did we? But we loved each other, right? We didn't know that, that for a large portion of our married life, we'd be broke. We'd be up at 3.30 a.m. with Angela pregnant, delivering papers in Vancouver to pay the bills. We didn't know that. We didn't know that I'd go through a period of time where I was just wondering what in the world God was doing with me and I was a hard person to live with. We didn't know that. She didn't know that. I'm glad she didn't know that. She might have said no. We didn't know about the struggles and challenges we would face in our marriage. We didn't know that my dad would die and six weeks later her dad would die and it would be a time of grief for our family. We didn't know that. But you know what? We loved each other and that love gave us hope for the future. And that's the love of God 
gives us hope that we can rest in what he's done for us. That my, my, one of my favorite verses from 1 John 4, we have come to know and rely on the love of God. We know that he loves us and that gives us hope for the future. And that love, that hope-giving love also provides peace that's deeper than the present. You know, when he's writing this in, in chapter 33, 4 to 11, the present he describes repeatedly as a desolate wasteland. A few weeks ago in chapter 14, we saw a drought. The people, even after this, are going into exile. But you see, the, the reality is that this big and beyond God who becomes small and beside lets us know there is nothing in the present that we need to fear. There's peace here, even when it looks otherwise. I, I think every year I come back at some point to this story about Polycarp, who was bishop in Smyrna, 155 A.D. he died. He was a beautiful man. The stories are told that often he would go to the slave market and he would buy slaves, pay full price for them, take them home and say, you're no longer a slave, you're now a part of our family. And they would live as family in his house with him. It's a horrible time. The church was being persecuted. And Polycarp was proclaiming Jesus as Lord instead of Caesar as Lord. And one day soldiers arrived on horseback to seize him. And he said, just give me an hour. Come in, let me make you a meal and you give me an hour to pray before you take me away. So they came in and they ate and he prayed. And it says as he prayed, the soldiers who had come to pick him up regretted the job that they had to do. They put him on a donkey, started leading him back into the city. They met the head of the guard, which was a guy named Herod. And Herod took him up into the, into the chariot with him as they rode back into the city because Herod was trying to talk him out of of being killed by recanting his faith. He said that this guy Herod said, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and, and offering just a pinch of incense? Polycarp said, I can never do that because Jesus is Lord. And Herod got so angry, he pushed him out of the chariot and made him walk beside. And they, all the soldiers, as they walked in, the, he, he, they, they loved him so much by just his presence, the peace that he had in this moment. They begged him to recant, and he, this was his quote, 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And they begged him again, and he said, since you pretend not to know who, I, who and what I am, hear me with boldness. I'm a Christian. And then he said, and if you wish to learn more about Christianity, I will be happy to make an appointment with you to explain it and talk with you about it. But he wouldn't recant. And he was burned at the stake, singing praise to God. You know, that, that peace in the middle of a difficult circumstances, it, it can only come from a person who knows the love of God. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. A peace that runs deeper than our circumstances, anchored in the love of God who came from beyond to be with us. We also see that out of this love is a joy that radiates through it all. Last week's sermon was on joy. This, this, I don't even know if emotion is a good word, but it's something that's cultivated in us by seeing the beauty of Jesus in the scripture and in the world. Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy 
and be glad all of our days. It's, it's deeper than happiness. Jake talked about that relational nature of joy that it's shared with others. And this, this love of God that is given to us that brings joy. A confidence that this love we have been given will not disappoint us. You know, we often struggle with this. We lose hope as we see the, sound, the situations around us and we feel this absence of peace because life seems painful and difficult. And, and we often lose even the sense of joy as each day becomes a painful trudging forward. And we find our, when we find ourselves there, when, when that's where you are, if you're struggling with hope and peace and joy and you just don't, don't sense it in your own life, I want you to look back to the love of God, to the love of this big God who becomes small for us. That's the gift of this whole season. That's the gift that, that changes the world completely. You know, next week we'll start into the book of Mark. We'll spend about three, two or three months there. And, and Jesus says at the beginning, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. That's the whole point. This God who is big and beyond has, has taken on flesh and come to be with us and brought his kingdom. And all of these things, hope, peace, and joy, flow from accepting and swimming in the love of God. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This kind of love transforms us. This takes these desolate wastelands that we live in. This, these, this dark world, these, these painful times of suffering, these feelings of loneliness, these, this questioning, if we even have hope, the love of God transforms that, bringing hope, peace, and joy. He calls us His sons and daughters, holy, blameless children of God, deeply loved by Him. Not because we're good, but because He is, because His goodness never fails. His love endures forever. The God who is big and beyond has become small to be with us, beside us. And that's why we're lighting the candle of joy, of love today. Let's pray. God, we have worked our way through a season. And we are definitely living in a season here in 2020. A season that longs for hope, peace, joy, and love. And God, I pray that we can receive the love that you have given. This, this baby coming so helpless, so small, so powerless. As such an unusual way for you to enter the world. Allow that love that we see in that act, in the life that you lived here, in the, the life that you gave for us. Allow that love to bring hope, peace, and joy to our lives. And, and God, not only to ours, but let it spill out of our lives. The world is longing for those things, longing to know you. And as we enter this Christmas season, God, bring that to us and through us to the world around us. Help us to celebrate the gift that we've been given. Help us to rest in your love and may it inspire hope. May it, may it give peace and may it restore and renew our joy as we trust in the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, 
what, what we're asking you to do, I think all of us, if we're honest, we feel like we're limping a little bit into Christmas. We're limited in who we can see. We're limited in our gatherings. You're probably limited by the, the packages that you've received in the mail because everything's so slow. We kind of feel like we're limping. And, 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 and the news talks about people dying and suffering all over the world. And it's just overwhelming at times. But the point is, in the midst of that, we as the people of God who know that he came, we, we make this statement into the world. Give thanks to the Lord Almighty for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. It's a symbolic statement, a symbolic act of lighting a candle. That's my prayer for you this week, that the way you live, the interactions you have, the, the, the truth that you base your life on in your own heart is that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. That's my prayer for you this week. Amen.